Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. At Beaver Creek Game Calls, all of our calls are handcrafted and held up to the highest standards. Our goal is to provide a quality custom call that every hunter can afford. We strive every day with this goal in mind. We also take pride in our customer service because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we love and that is to make quality custom hunting calls. All of our calls are proudly made in the USA. Visit us online at beavercreekgamecalls.com and let us build your next call. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats. Or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you. Hey folks, welcome into another episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, Jacob Robery, and I'd just like to take this time to thank you all for joining us this week. I know we have a lot going on. We just wrapped up Halloween here in Louisiana and all across the United States. So hopefully the kiddos are loaded up on the, all the sugar and we put all the candy away. We're getting close to hunting season, guys. We are just about a couple of weeks away here in Louisiana. And I know we've been saying it, but it's getting really close right now. We are excited. Uh, we open up duck season here in one of our zones, our first zone, uh, just about a week away. And then we're going to follow with our second zone about a week after that. So we are excited. Hopefully you guys are as well as I'm sure that has to go unsaid. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm excited. This is an episode that we have been wanting to do for quite some time with the special guests we have on the show this week. And uh, I hope you guys really enjoy the stories that we're going to uh, talk about and, uh, and, and get to on this episode. So um, without further ado, guys, I just want to welcome our guest to the show. It is my father, Mr. Thomas Robery, from right here in Evangeline Parish, Louisiana. And we are going to be talking outdoors, huh, Dad? We're going to be talking a little bit about the way the good old days were back in the day. Yeah, those good old days. Those good old days. And what I mean by that is you have a lot of stories that you can share with our listeners this week. And uh, I know I've been told through the years all the different stories uh, you know, involved in your hunting adventures and so on and so forth. And I think, uh, I've been, for a while I've been saying, I think a lot of our listeners would want to get together and hear these stories. Cause I know I enjoy it. When I listen to a, a radio show or a podcast, I love hearing about the way things used to be. Um, cause so much has changed, especially in the hunting and fishing outdoor world. Um, with it way it is nowadays that I'm really looking forward to, uh, having you share some of these stories with everybody. So first of all, how's it been going? Everybody's been doing good. Yeah, everything's good. good. Everything's good. Uh, we healthy. Works good. Can't actually better right now. Got some beautiful weather this week. I know the weather right now is nice. We've been blessed the last couple of days. Uh, right here in Louisiana, we've been sitting in the upper 40s. 
uh, lower 50s at night and it's warming up to about 80 during the day. So can't get much better weather than that. We haven't had a whole lot of rain. Yeah, that's really good. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's old people temperatures right now. Old people temperatures, huh? That's it. We used to like it real cold, but at my age now, not too cold. The bones hurt a little bit more than they used the to? The bones hurt a lot. <laughs> the bones hurt a lot, huh? Yeah, a lot of, you know, all my customers, they walk in, they say, man, as you get older, how old are you? I say 41, 42 years old. They're like, just wait, it's coming. And, and you hear those stories, and even me at my age, as I'm getting older now, I definitely feel it more than I did 10 years ago. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, you got about six years, then you'll feel it. Yeah, that's what, that's what I've been told, so... Well, Dad, we're going to jump right into it this week. Uh, we have a lot of stories, like I mentioned, to tell. And, I, you know, just, you know, being your son, I'm the oldest of, of all the kids. And, uh, and I grew up in the outdoors. And when I talk about it on the show, a lot of times I tell people I was very blessed as a child to have, uh, you know, the opportunity to be able to hunt with you, uh, for somebody to teach me to hunt the proper way, the ethics of hunting. Uh, and just do it the right way, you know, and, uh, I really feel that way. So I want to thank you, uh, you and mom for giving me the opportunity to be in the outdoors and be brought up in hunting and fishing. Oh, you so, you know, that's, I know, I know it goes unsaid, but that's really a big part of, of, uh, something that I feel like I, I'm very grateful for. So thank y'all very much for that. Um, but you know, going back to your childhood, was that something that you were involved in? I know you, obviously I know you hunted. Um, how did you get into hunting whenever you were a child? Do you remember back that, that far back? Cause I know you're a, an old, old man now you say. Yeah, I remember well, my dad, my dad was a squirrel hunter and uh, I, I started real young. I was, I went in the woods with him at six, seven years old and he turned me loose on my first squirrel hunt at 12, bought me a shotgun for my birthday. I'll never forget that, a uh, model 37 Ithaca pump. I was jumping like a kid for candy at that time so yeah and you know back then the you could go just about anywhere and hunt in the woods nothing was posted hunting clubs none of that stuff so we went right there in the Chico Turkey Creek area I started hunting in those woods right there by that fire tower back there and that was some that was some really good days yeah well so back then there just wasn't the hunting clubs and stuff like you see nowadays no no it was it was all public land uh that yeah a lot of it was or privately owned Best I can remember, yeah, that was some. Oh, yeah, that was some private owned land, but most of the most of the woods were open just about anywhere you'd go. Now, how was it back then, as far as like what years are we talking about? What what, what years was this? Uh, let me think here. That was back in uh, 60s and 70s. The 60s and 70s. Yeah, the late late 60s. Late, late 60s. 60s, correct. So even if it was privately owned land, was that something? Did you even care about that at that time? I mean, or could you just find a piece of woods and you could walk in, you could go in, you could hunt? I mean, is that kind of how it was, or did you have to ask for permission? No, we just back then when we we me and my buddies later on, my buddies started hunting with me a little bit. If we didn't have posted signs and nothing like that, we just went to woods. Yeah, see, and that's something no, no, that's, nobody ever challenged that. Nobody challenged it no. at that time. See, nowadays you in in Louisiana, there's actually a law now where you don't even have to post your property anymore. Um, that's that something that that that's changed over the years. You know, back then, I remember as a kid coming up hunting with you, we had posted signs. You wouldn't go into that property. You know, I've been told that. Yes. So where nowadays you could, you don't have to as the landowner. You don't actually have to post the property. As the hunter, you are responsible for knowing where you hunt and, and you know where you are. So that's definitely sounds like it's changed over the years, you know. Yes. So now, wildlife management areas, all that type of stuff, was that anything that you hunted as a boy with with 
with Papa, or what, how did that all work? When did that come into play? Yeah, we started. I started hunting in the uh, in the West Bay Wildlife Management area later on, probably when I was a, a teenager. In Island Parish. Yeah, in Island Parish, West Bay, over there by Oakdale and Elizabeth. Okay. And hunted there for quite a few years, and started camping. Had some really good times. Killed killed more squirrels than I ever needed. So with squirrel, you know, I find that a lot of people especially nowadays a lot of people that get into hunting they kind of get acclimated with hunting um it's oftentimes small game so squirrel hunting rabbit hunting that type of stuff um and it sounds like from your childhood that's kind of how you got involved was the squirrel hunt because you know the listeners who listen to the show on, our, on, a, on a normal basis uh you know weekly basis we've had episodes that we've talked about our rich tradition here in evangeline parish of squirrel hunting that's a big big deal for us uh, so big that, you know, we used to get out of school on Fridays when I was a kid. I remember you packing up the truck, uh, us being ready to head up north to Kasachi Forest, Red Dirt, all those different reserves to do some squirrel hunting. Um, right. And that's big here in Evangelical Parish, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you agree? Squirrel hunting's kind of where everybody learns to cut their teeth. Well, I think it got to the point where nobody was showing up to go to school. So the school's pretty much looked at it this way well if they're not going to come to class it's no use we open yeah because they're not coming for squirrel season no no matter what we can punish them or give them an f they're going squirrel hunting anyway they're going squirrel hunting anyway that's right that's exactly right and that was a fact that's a fact you know when we got into high school they were moving up the games the football games and stuff like that to thursday because you know none of the men were in town on friday so everybody was headed to the woods, and we talked about that in previous episodes. But Evangeline Parish, there's just something about this part of Louisiana that has a rich, rich, rich tradition with squirrel hunting. That's a big part of our culture, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and that seems like that's how you kind of started out hunting as well. So you mentioned your first your first shotgun was the Ithaca Model 37? Right. Tell me a little bit about what you remember about that gun. I remember it was uh, it was very it's a very lightweight gun it's a featherweight gun and it kicks pretty dang hard too. <laughs> still got that gun. Still got that gun I and it kicks. Still got you that shot gun that gun today. as well. When we were dating. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember shooting that gun as a kid. You had let me uh, shoot it and it was it kicked it kicked like a mule. I remember that. I know that, but. Uh, that Ithaca Model 37 was around for a long time. That was a military-issued gun at one point. That's a that's a very, very good firearm. And that was your first. So you went as a youth to, uh, you were went straight to a 12-gauge is what it was? Straight to a 12-gauge. We had a little 410, but I, I hunted with that maybe once or twice. And I told my dad, I said, I can't kill nothing with that. I need something that can knock something down. <laughs> so they, uh, my birthday came around. They gave me that 12-gauge and... Had to, I shot it a couple of times and went to go put a pad on it because it was bruising my shoulder. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it had a kick to but it. But when I shot a squirrel, it came down. It did? Oh, yeah. It was a modified choke? We Mod had a full uh, choke? Yeah, it was 28-inch barrel modified choke. Modified choke, wow. Yeah. And the Ithacas were a bottom eject, if I remember correct. Bottom, on a bottom side. eject, that's correct. I remember that. So you, Because you you are a left-hander, naturalist. Did you shoot left-handed or you shot right-handed? No, I shot right-handed. So you left-handed naturally. But then you shot, you shoot right-handed, yeah. and then you you also you were kind of ambidextrous. You could play both. I know in sports you played on um, both sides sometimes. Yeah, I played on both sides. I, I, I threw I threw a ball with a left with my left hand. I write with my right hand. I play golf right-handed. So I'm all I'm all messed up. I'm, all, he, I'm both ways. He both ways. That's right. Yeah. So 
you know, you, you talked about there, whenever y'all were hunting around the house, did y'all take any kind of hunt trips to where y'all would go out, hunt WMAs in certain areas or any of that type of stuff, or you did most of your hunting at, at that age? What age are you at, talking about? At, at that 12-year-old age when you got oh, that no, first no. gun. We, we hunted strictly right here in, in the Chico, Turkey Creek area. That's where I, we grew up hunting. Real. I can't remember how many years. Uh, probably till I was four or five years. So I started driving, and then I started going to West Bay and Oakdale and all that. Now, West Bay, that's a wildlife management area that's up around Oberlin. We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, Mom referenced that. Um, that was kind of like, it seems like in this area for Evangelist Parish, that was one of the, the big reserves that everybody hunted back then, right? Because you got some oh, stories yeah. in that area that I've heard you mention before. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was all about West Bay or Tissawate. West Bay or Tissawate. And where yeah. is Tissawate located at? That's right out of Washington, Louisiana. Okay, up around Opelousas, Correct. all those areas. Yes, got gotcha. St. Landry Parish. So, terrain similar in those two wildlife management no, areas no totally different totally different west bay was primarily a hard a hardwoods uh wma beech trees oak trees pine trees mixture and beautiful beautiful woods to hunt in and tissawate was all hardwood no pine trees there but palmetto woods palmetto woods palmetto woods got you a lot of is it swamp terrain was it it was wet terrain or no not really not too bad i mean no. there's some bayous and creeks in there but uh no they had a lot of a lot of flat hardwood bottoms in there and whenever y'all were going out to those two reserves that was still squirrel hunt you know that y'all were doing in those two reserves were y'all waterfowl hunting those reserves what were you mainly no, hunting no. the weight was strictly squirrel hunting i never even deer hunted there now, West Bay, I did a little bit of both. Uh, I did a lot of squirrel hunting and a little bit of deer hunting. A little bit of deer hunting? Yeah. What about waterfowl? Any kind of waterfowl hunting on those? Or are they? Well, there was, there was uh, a lot of wood ducks in those creeks and stuff, you know. But, uh, no, I, I actually didn't do that there. Didn't do it there. waterfowl no. days were at that, at, at that time, we couldn't take waterfowl out of West Bay at that time. Why? Why was that? I'm not. You couldn't. You couldn't uh, duck hunt in there at that time. Oh, right. Really? Really? Not. It may have changed today. I'm really not. Not up with the current rules and laws on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, they, there's different regulations in different areas for sure. So, right, right. So it was mainly deer, deer, squirrel. You have any good stories from uh, any back in those days? You remember any of those stories that you have about West Bay? I know a couple of them. I've referenced. I've heard you reference before. Yeah, I did a couple of little things over there. Yeah, I took a deer out of there one time. In the trunk of your wife's car. And. Uh, <laughs> Made, made, uh, me, me and one of my buddies were camping up there around Elizabeth, and we, we took a deer out a little bit before it was time and got a little nervous there, and we made the, the two wives come and load the deer in the car and drive it out of there. <laughs> okay, well, let's elaborate on yeah, that. Yeah, that was kind of a risky thing. I'd have, I'd have felt really guilty if they would, if they would have got caught with it. <laughs> they did meet so, up with a state trooper. <laughs> okay, well, let's elaborate on this. How did this all go down? How did the deer store? See, y'all were squirrel hunting is what it was? Well, we went in there to squirrel hunt. It was just about daylight, and it was probably about 25 degrees and raining. Nope, not too many people would be squirrel hunting in that kind of weather. Wow. And a little, little six-point jumped out in the road, and I decided I was going to take a, a, a pop at it. <laughs> and you got it? We dropped it. <laughs> we called the wives, and they came in. They came in the core. So this is you and a buddy, I'm assuming, hunting me, me together is what y'all yeah. are? Okay, so, so here you come. So, so uh, y'all were camping. camping. So the wives were camping. Y'all had a campground in West camping. Bay, is where this was. Yeah, in Elizabeth. In Elizabeth. Okay, mm -hmm. so you had a camp. The wives at the camp. Y'all, y'all go ahead shoot, or you shoot the deer, and uh, you go ahead drop it. And what did you do at that point? What, what's the next step when we drop the deer? 
Well, we got we we went to get the wives to come get it and hold it back to Vilplat because we were scared. We knew we had done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! And right out, right after, so, right right after they left to bring the deer to town, the the wildlife management agents came and pulled us over on the side of the road. And said that somebody had seen seen somebody shoot a deer. So we knew at that point that wasn't a good thing to do. So, oh my god one, one, one of the things i'm not proud of in my hunting years well we got to cut our teeth and learn different different lessons i guess i, different learned, I, I learned my lesson <clears throat> so so mom i'm gonna bring you in on this one so you get the call of the campground to come get a deer what do you what do you do at that point well we drive up and they're they're sitting there with the deer and um they loaded into the trunk of the car and I'm there I'm scared to death you know suppose somebody sees us coming out of there and my friend that was with me was eight months pregnant <laughs> and uh, we were kind of scared but uh, we took off with the deer we they told us to head to Bill Platt to Cajun something it was a store where they would it was a hunting store sporting goods store sporting yeah. goods store yeah yeah and uh they uh on our way out we see a state trooper sitting there and then we notice blood dripping out of the trunk <laughs> enough for them to think you have a body in the a uh, body. trunk that's or what we said that's what we said there's a, they're gonna think we have a body in the trunk or something but he didn't see it so thank god we took off down the road you know kept the speed limit up and <laughs> <laughs> didn't hurt nobody didn't hurt nobody so we got the deer and we got that. Right. So that's a, that's a we hell of a store. Ended up in sporting goods store. And they took a picture. They stood in front of the store with their deer on the trunk <laughs> of the car and took a picture with it. Okay. Okay. So wasn't there something about like a hog or something underneath the hood or something like that? Well, that, was, that, was, that was on another, that was on a trip probably before, before that. That was you and Bill. Yeah. 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 That was you and one of your friends. Yeah, we 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 shot a hog in there, and I put it under the hood on the on the fender well, and and we 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 got stopped by the wildlife management areas down the road. And when I got down, I looked down by my tire, and uh, there was a, just a, a bunch of blood dripping. So I said, "Well, uh -oh. <laughs> this don't look too good." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the guy came, checked all license and stuff, real nice man, and just said. Everything's good, y'all. Go ahead. So we took off with a bloody hog. With a bloody hog out the reserve. Bloody hog. Never not, saw. Not a close call that I shouldn't have done. But now, well, I mean, what, so to deal with the hog, what was the deal with that? You couldn't have a hog at that time. No, or what but, was the Because now you can shoot hogs. Pretty well, much most WMAs. What happened? I had killed a hog, and my my partner that I was hunting with told me you can't kill them in the reserve, which I really didn't know at the time. Uh huh. So that was kind of a that wasn't. It yeah. was a mistake. Yeah, that was a mistake. But we don't. We had it, so I said, "Well, we're gonna get it out of here." Yeah. So you thinking that it, that you might have messed up at that point? So you're trying to hide it. That's why you were trying to get out of there without getting in trouble with it. Yeah, and there's there's pamphlets they put out, and if I would if I would have did my homework and read that, I would have known that, but I didn't. Well, that's an excellent point because that is something that comes up nowadays on most forums. If you follow any kind of outdoor forum in Louisiana, we get the most basic questions. You see people asking all the time on there. And a lot of people don't have patience with those guys anymore. They're just like, man, why don't you read the pamphlet? There is a pamphlet that they put out every year, um, and you can get all the information. You pretty much need to get out of those pamphlets. But a lot of times they do leave some of that stuff kind of iffy up in the air on questions, you know. 
And I think, in my opinion, it's because they want to. They got to write tickets. They make money off of that stuff, you know. So, well, you to, know, well to give you some insight on that, on another trip there, talking about the pamphlets, I went squirrel hunting one morning over there, and I, I got there at about five o'clock. I was about thirty minutes before daylight, sitting on the side of the road in the in the game in the in the management area, and I was drinking some coffee, and all of a sudden I heard somebody tap on my glass, scared the fire out of me, and it was a game warden, and he rolled down the window. He said, "What you doing in here?" Uh, I said, well, I'm fixing to go hunting squirrels. He said, well, you, did you, we put these pamphlets out on the counters at these stores for you to read the regulations. He said, this is a youth hunt today. You can't be in here. Ah. So, yeah, from that day on, I learned my lesson. I bought, I got me a pamphlet, and I was always aware of the rules and regulations. But they, uh, they didn't write me a citation for that because he, he knew I was honest. But still, he could have, and he should have, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, I learned from that. Yeah, well, that that brings me to a point where I remember a couple of years ago, I was uh, I was hunting Maurepaw Swamp, which is located right outside of Ascension between Ascension Paris and St. James. And, uh, and some of the reserves in Louisiana, if you're not familiar, for waterfowl season, um, they'll have, you know, cutoff dates where you, you cannot waterfowl hunt because there might be an either sex deer hunt or something like that. Right. So at this particular WMA, I... I thought we were able to waterfowl hunt. I was going to work one day. I said, I'm going to make a quick hunt in the morning. And I come out, I uh, went by myself. I come out to the launch and, um, and I have a, a guy who's in a wildlife fisher's truck. He, he kind of strolls on over to me. It wasn't a game warden. He wasn't dressing in uniform or nothing like that, but he had a state shirt on and, uh, he comes up and he's like, Hey man, you had a good hunt. And this and I said, well, I said, not an area where we have a whole lot of ducks, you know, it's something you can make quick go, you know, go from the house and make a quick hunt, maybe kill some wood ducks and come out. Well, this particular morning I had killed a, a hooded morganza is what it was. One of the, the worst ducks you could possibly kill. And instead of throwing it in the woods, just throwing it away, you know, I was like, well, I don't want to waste it. I'm going to take it home and process it, clean it. So I come out, he, he greets me and he's like, I was like, oh man, I only killed a, this one old nasty hooded morganza. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know what you saw this and that blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what you doing? And he's like, man, I'm just checking in deer. And I said, oh, I said, yeah, any good deer? And it still never occurred to me at that point. I was like, any good deer? He's like, yeah, we had a couple of deer, some swamp deer come out, you know, and this and that. So I, I talked to him for a few minutes, real nice. He's, he's being super nice to me, you know, this and that. And he, uh, I said, well, man, I got to get going. I got to head to work, you know? So I, he says, yeah, no problem. Have a good day. So as I'm, you know, getting my boat, putting it on the trailer, I see him looking at me, just watching me kind of, kind of odd, you know, and he gets on his phone, he's on his phone and he's, I can hear him giving my license plate number to somebody. So at this point I'm thinking, you know, what the hell is this guy doing? I didn't do nothing wrong, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, and, and about the next five minutes, I have two wildlife fisheries agents come flying in in their trucks at the launch and block me in on the boat launch and get out the truck and walk over to me and ask me who I am and can I they have my ID and my hunting license and my gun. So I hand them all that and I'm like, what the hell? So I looked at the guy, which ended up being a biologist. He was a biologist for wildlife and fisheries in Louisiana. And uh and he what it is is I wasn't supposed to be duck hunting that day. It, it was closed that day. It was a either sex weekend, which I wasn't aware. I'm not a big deer hunter. I wasn't aware of it actually. So it was a mistake on my part. And this guy had called me in, is what he did. He called me into the game wards and ratted me out, basically. So I looked at him, literally, and I pointed to him, and I said, I said, you son of a bitch. I said, did you call me in? 
And he's like, oh, yeah, I did. It's my job. And the guy shifted on me all of a sudden. Like, he was being just an asshole, you right. know, the guy. And look, at the end of the day, now I look back on it, he was doing, he was doing, I guess, his job. You know, that's not really a biologist's job, but they are there to, to, you know, ultimately take an oath to protect the wildlife and all that type of stuff. So I get it. But the way it happened, it was kind of a shitty situation, I find, you know, the way he did it. Um, and he was, put, the reason it ended up being a shitty situation, I say, is because he was pushing for them to, like, write me a ticket, you know. So the, the older game warden, he was there. He had, you know, seasoned veteran guy. And he was asking me questions like, where are you from? I told him, you know, he's like, you know, did you know? He said, this wasn't always a rule here, but, it, you know, you got to read the pamphlet. You know, he kind of went back to what you said. He said, you got to read the pamphlet, which I know that. I, I just didn't even occur to me. I don't deer hunt. And I told him, I said, I don't deer hunt at all. I said, you know, I'm just trying to make a hunt before work. And he was kind of siding with me. He knew where I was coming from. He knew I didn't do it on purpose. Mm -hmm. But the whole time I'm talking to him and he's asking me questions, the biologist guy is just, hey, man, you know, you wrong. You, you need to write him a ticket. You need to write him a ticket. And I looked at that guy again and I said, man, you need to shut up. I said, you just need to shut up and walk away. You know, this they here. And the other game warden was kind of with him trying to write me. A, he wanted to write me a ticket. But thank God this older gentleman was there and knew that I wasn't trying to do it on purpose. And uh, he looked at the biologist and he said, hey, man, he said, you need to go back to your station and let me do my job. He told a guy that. Right. So that guy walked away and uh, he went back over there and he said, look, he said, Mr. Robery said, I understand. He said, you made an error. He said, everybody's entitled to a warning. I don't think you did this on purpose, he said, but I will confiscate the bird, which honestly, it was a trash bird. He did me a favor. He confiscated a hooded morganza from me. Uh, so he took the bird. He said, I'm going to write you a warning citation, he said, but I will not issue you a ticket for it. He said, just don't let it happen again. And guess what? Lesson learned, you know? Right. I, I knew I, at that point I made sure no matter if I go somewhere that I'm not used to hunting or what the case may be, I always check the pamphlet to make sure that I'm not doing the right thing. So, you know, you learn from those situations. You, you, got, off, you got off light. Got off light. I was very, very lucky. So, but, you know, there's a lot of people that don't get off, and that's just the way it is. If we do the crime, we do the time. That's that old saying. It's true for sure, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. I can it, remember one one really good story about that that stuff. Oh, yeah. well, well, go ahead. Let's hear it. Well, that's what we're doing. We're telling stories. Yeah, it's back in the day there. Uh, I don't remember what year. I used to go duck hunting with, with uh, old Uncle Gervis Robbery. Okay, yeah. Back in Grand Prairie there, and... We go up in his little pri private. They have a little private lake. There's a big wood duck hole in there, and we were shooting lead shot. We wasn't shooting steel. So steel steel was mandated at that time. It was steel shot. Yeah, on. it was steel shot when we were the last I remember. And uh, you know the wood the wood duck limit at that time was two per person. And you know we were, we 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 wouldn't. We kill over the limit, you know, quite a bit of, of times. Maybe, maybe just one, two, three over the limit, and it was going almost every morning. And oh, it was kind of scary because you know you you know you're doing wrong, but you still get people get greedy and we want to kill we kill over the limit, you know. So finally, I remember the next year we got through it that year. Never got checked. Never had game warden problems back there. The next year opening day. He called me, he said, not going to be able to come hunting today. He said, uh, the, we got two blondes in the lake. And he said, the, the boys, uh, the family is going to take the blondes. So he said, you, we can go Monday, me and you. I said, okay. So they went up in there and for some reason, the, uh, the game wardens were planted in the lake. And I think they all killed five, six ducks over the limit. And 
the game wards were, were waiting on them. They were there, and they they walked up to the blind, and what ended up happening? They all went to federal court in Lafayette, Louisiana, oh. and they they lost their license for a year. They all were all fined about fifteen hundred dollars. Oh wow! A piece, and it was a, I think it was a federal judge named Mildred at the time said, "Y'all look at me good," she said in court. And those hunters looked at him and said, shook her finger at him and said, y'all getting off light. Don't ever come back to my court because it won't be pretty. That's what she told him? And after that, I never went hunting in that lake again. You never did? Never went again. Really? Never went again. Because we're going to touch on that. We kind of That's kind of where some of my first memories of waterfowl hunting started was yeah. in that area. And I want to kind of go back to that in a little bit. So this was family land. This was Family yeah, land, privately owned. That y'all privately owned land that y'all they all were hunting. And I hunted there as a child. That's where I first started waterfowl hunting. Um, you know, and uh, and these game wardens. It sounds like maybe somebody had tipped them off. I'm sure it was because you know you do. We were doing a lot of shooting there. You know, and people people that own land next to you or maybe in other areas maybe suspect something and maybe they'll maybe they'll call the wildlife agents and say, look, we hear this shooting going on. Every morning, like a war in there. Maybe I'll need to go check that out. And I'm assuming that's how that happened. So a jealousy thing, more than likely. Yeah, jealousy. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah, yeah, more than likely. That's what it sounds like. You know, public land hunting, that's that's a lot of what we experience too. And and it's a shame because we're losing a lot of hunters, you know, now because I think of, of just the greed and stuff like that. But that sounds like that was definitely a case of somebody maybe ratting you out calling y'all in and you know and they showed up so how how did they, they were they were waiting on the property whenever they showed up like normal i mean guess normal day they were they I, were there, they were there before daylight they were they were waiting in the lake hiding. with some waiters yeah they were hiding because and, they uh, did they did kill the di uh the uh ducks yeah they did they wanted to over the limit yeah and they waited for them to kill as many as they could. they sat back and they watched it and they waited till the hunt was complete then they, they walked to the blinds before they exited the blinds really they yeah. approached them at that point yeah, yeah which is commonly what you hear happens you know so but you know in that situation they were definitely over you know doing what they weren't supposed to so yeah if any, anybody today watches t watches television now louisiana law and northwoods law all these laws on tv at night so you can kind of watch that and they see that's really how it is you know they yeah they uh they plan to catch these people and they get reports from others that people are doing them things and you know I was watching one the other night these guys were catching oysters out there in the Gulf of Mexico and you know they were going out there ch checking other people's traps stealing their oysters and stuff and this costs a fortune to do that so I can totally relate to what's going on there. Yeah, there's no doubt. Hey, look, and, and I know all the game boards and you know enforcement get a bad rap, but at the end of the day, I mean it's all for the good of us as outdoors. Oh, absolutely. You know? absolutely. There's no doubt. I support that a hundred percent. You know, if you choose to do it wrong, you you do it wrong, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. But if you get caught, you you can't be bitching and complaining no, about I, it. I, you know? I was young and dumb sometimes, but if I if I don't hunt no more, but if I did it again today, there's I'd follow the laws 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these stories that we're talking about, this was back in the 70s. This was back, this was a long time ago. You know, yeah. this is when you were young. It's protect, um, protecting the game, the waterfowl, the land, all that is a, is an important thing, you know. Yeah. And you, you have to, if, you want, if you, want, you want game and conservation and all that for your kids and grandkids, you need to, you need to do it right. Yeah. And I think, I think we've educated ourselves a lot better nowadays. Um, you know, it still goes on with nobody, anybody be clueless to say it doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. But you the know, only thing now, the only thing now is, uh, you go out at night and shoot a rabbit and get a $50 fine. That's not the case no more. 
That was years ago. That was years ago. Now you might go behind bars for a couple of days if you don't know somebody. That was big back in the day. I, I remember hearing stories of uh, different hunters saying, man, we used to take the trucks out. We'd go out at night into camp. We'd shoot rabbits with a spotlight. You know, I know that I, back in the 70s, 80s, that seemed to be something that was real popular. That's something that y'all saw back then. I mean, did y'all participate they, in stuff like did. that? Or did y'all? As a matter of we fact, were it was dating. Did, yeah. It went that's, dating. that's some of our dates. We, yeah. were, we were out there hunting rabbits. Yeah. That was some of the was dates? Hold, I was holding the spotlight. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Shining them on the rabbit We sad. We drug all innocent girlfriends or wives with us and put, put them in those situations. But oh, yeah, we get in the back of the truck with a nice chest of beer. With a, with, a, with a spotlight now, not hiding, with a spotlight shining in the fields and unloading shells at 12 o'clock at night. I didn't wow. know that. Wow. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, the girls, you, here you are smuggling out there. You, that was uh, our date. You're holding a spotlight, <laughs> and that's a date. Now, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a much better date than what I see a lot of these date naps <laughs> nowadays, I can tell you that. Even though it was illegal, it was... Uh, yeah. It was fun. <laughs> it, it was just different times. Y'all were y'all grew up in different times, you know. Yeah. And, and even though there was laws in place, they just they didn't. It, it was kind of the norm, you know. Like people right. go back to robin hunting, you know, yeah. like robins. You know, I remember as a kid us shooting robins, you know, and not even thinking nothing of it because, you know, as a child I had a BB gun, I get a Daisy Red Rider, I get a, a Benjamin Pellet gun back in the day, yeah. and I was shooting anything in the yard, learning how to hunt that I could hunt. Right. And down when I was a kid back in the, you know, early 80s, you know, mid 80s, there was robins everywhere growing up in the country where we are now here in Evangelist Parish. Y'all were you know? little, they had a lot of robins. You know, and now, looking back now, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I'm looking at it and go get arrested as a child for oh, what we yeah. did, you know. I think at 13, 14 years old, me and my friends get up at daylight right there where we live and get out there and we would slaughter the robins and the blackbirds with our Benjamins back then. And we'd uh, get ready. We have, we're cooking a sauce in the outdoor kitchen and I'm cooking a bunch of illegal birds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and not, but, no, not really thinking ever anything of it. I mean, it was innocent. It was illegal, oh, but it was innocent. It, yeah. it really was. You know? Him and a friend were shooting them out of our back door of our home. They, they'd uh, open the back door and they would shoot the robins yeah. and stuff and then they'd cook them for lunch or something. I look back on that now, I wouldn't change none of it. You wouldn't change none, wouldn't of, change it. none of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just different times for sure. And, uh, you know, going back now, I mean, you just can't do that type of stuff at all, you know. So it's, uh, you know, they had a guy, they had a story last year that broke. There was a guy who uh, was in, I think it was in Port Allen, Louisiana. And he uh, he gets on social media and he posts a, uh, he posts a picture of him in his uh, kitchen cooking robin eggs. And, uh, and it's like, he's like, man, what a great breakfast. Got some fresh robin eggs, you know. And the next thing you know, you hear rumors of wildlife fishers agents showed up at his house because he, he killed Robbins. And come to find out, this guy was a political figure in the community. And really, at the end of the day, it was an innocent type thing. You know, he didn't really know. He didn't really know that, you know, he, he just shot Robbins. He probably did it since he was a kid. And come to find out, I think he ended up getting fined, if I'm not mistaken, because oh of that. Gosh. He posted it on social media, but that's that's the thing. You know, back when y'all were kids and young and doing all these things back then, social media wasn't around. No. You didn't have Facebook. You didn't have Instagram. You didn't have YouTube. You know, you didn't do all that stuff. You, I mean, you know, you, you just did what y'all wanted to do, and as long as nobody got hurt, there was nothing that ever came of it, you know? It was all fun. No, and like yeah. I said, the, the laws back then were lenient, you know. it was You didn't go to jail for doing something like that back then. You... 
got a little fine. Your license wasn't taken away. Yeah, so you know, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a Tell deal. Tell the story about how you kept warm one night in the park. Uh, you know, were fishing and stuff. A bunch of guys. Yeah, oh, uh, Chico was, Park. Chico yeah. Park. This was this was a story I'll just never forget. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't driving yet. I wasn't 15 years old yet, and my. <laughs> We used to love to go set lines in Chico and catch some some yellow cat pollywogs. And I guess, I think the, it was about in the low 30s during the day. And it dropped down to probably 20 degrees that night. And my mother dropped us off, me and two of my friends, with a tent. And we set up that tent that night and we were, we were freezing to death. And I didn't know. I'm, I, it got so bad... We couldn't stay warm. We took an axe and we we chopped up a picnic table and burned it right in front of the tent, not to <laughs> not to fr not to freeze to death. And, and that's a pretty a that's picnic a, table, a, a, a state-owned picnic table. We chopped it up, not to freeze to death. We made a fire. We survived the night, but I'll never forget that picnic table we cut up. Oh my goodness, a picnic table. Yeah, because you didn't have a cell phone back then. You can't just pick up the phone and say, hey, we're freezing our butts off. Can you come get us? This was this really and truly was survival. Survival. This you were trying survival. to survive the we night. To, huh? We wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have made it. <laughs> you know, I a kerosene wood-treated picnic table, probably. Uh, that burned pretty good, I guess. I know what my mom was thinking when she dropped us off in that cold weather like that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Just, but we, we got tough. We got tough. We learned from that, I can tell you that. You figured a way, huh, to get yeah. through it. Was that the same thing that y'all, what's the what's the story about uh, the deer at Chico Park? Y'all were setting yo-yos or something like that? Uh, me what, what, first of all, for those of you listeners, I'm sorry, for all of our listeners who do not know what yo-yos are, it's a mechanical fishing yo-yo that you see at Walmart. You hang it from the tree or a branch. And uh, you you know extend it out, drop a piece of bait on it, and it it, it it's an automatic uh, contraption that sets the hook for it catches the fish. That's a big thing down here. Growing up, I know uh, we said yo yos, y'all did it, you know. Yeah, we checked them. I used to go check them with them. Yeah. So the the, the deal with the deal with that deer was, and that's probably one of the funniest things I've ever done. <laughs> We were setting we were setting lines, not yo-yos back then. Okay. And we talking about some some mid twenty weather. No no human beings were on the lake, but me and my buddy that morning we had a ski mask on, big old coal rolls, and we driving down the channel and going from the Southland to the Northland, and I'm looking down the channel and I'm seeing, I see this set of horns in the in the water, and I told him I looked around, my says a big old deer in the water is crossing the lake. I said, let's go over there next to that deer. So we went over there next to that deer with the boat. We, we turned the boat off. And we got right on the side of it. It was a big old six-point book. So we got on each we got to the front of the boat on each side. And we caught that deer by the horns. And we started shaking it just to see what it was going to do. So you in the boat and you grab it by the horns? We got it, yeah, because he couldn't. The deer, couldn't, the deer was swimming with his feet. He couldn't get his feet on it the ground. He couldn't get ground. <laughs> so well, I, I caught that deer and I dunked him under the water two or three times. And I picked him up. So I was trying to drown him so we could we could get him. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Whoever heard of such a stupid thing? So we kept on going, and I I didn't know I was kind of scared of it, but I kept I dunked him under a couple of more times. He get up and he coughed. <laughs> so we got we got a little bit closer toward the bank, and that deer all of a sudden that deer kind of popped up. He had his feet on the ground, so I let him go because he got traction. He 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 was close enough to the bank where he could get where he could ground. touch ground. 
that he got on the ground and that deer got up on the land and he just collapsed. He collapsed on the ground. He was wore out because we were trying to get him. <laughs> Y'all wore him out. He coughed and he coughed and we stood right there looking at him. He never even got afraid of us. He just he just had his old head down on the ground like that and he'd pick it up and <coughs> I guess he had some lung, some water in his lungs. But anyway, finally, I guess maybe 15, 20 minutes, he got up and he started walking. He fell again and he got up again and he finally, he just barely crept off and he walked away. He he made it out. Which I was glad after that because he, he survived. <laughs> you realize what you kind of did? Yeah, yeah. That's everything we teach our kids not to do nowadays as far as the outdoors go. Yeah, but I look back on that. I ain't too proud of that. But, but you're it, young it, and Donald dumb. Jackson and Hudson here. This. No. <laughs> it, 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 was a, it was really funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, look, we've all been teenagers before. At that point, it's a, it's a laughing thing. You're doing it to have fun and to, you know. But you get to my age, there's some things you forget two weeks ago, but there's some things you never forget in a lifetime. There's one of them I never forget. That's one you'll never That's forget. That's one I'll, never, I'll go down with that one. And the deer that you thought was dead and stood up in back of your truck. Oh, I remember hearing oh, brief something God. about that. This Now, this right here was For not somebody who didn't deer hunt, we got a lot of deer stories, it sounds like. <laughs> this right here was not an outlaw situation. I actually went to to play golf in alexandria in woodworth as a country club there and when we left the game we got out on the highway going toward alexandria and a deer crossed i hit it with my truck and when i got down it was laying in the road so we put it in back of the pickup truck and started we were probably about four miles from the alexandria city limits and when i looked in my rear view mirror the deer was standing up in the back of the truck <laughs> The damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's like Tommy Boy when that deer comes up in the back seat of the truck. I said, there is no way that deer came to life. It's standing up in the back of my truck. So at that point, I figured we knocked it out and it woke up. So at, at the time, we were dealing with a company called Cisco, Cisco Foods. And they, and they had a little they had a little sub office right out of Alexandria there. And I had the salesman's... Uh, the, the number so i drove up in the parking lot and i called him and i said look man i said i'm at the office over here and i said i don't know what to do i said we we hit a deer accidentally in the road and i said standing up in the back of the truck <laughs> so he said i'll be there in a minute so they came over there and we we they, we hit it we hit it with a hammer they knocked it out oh god <laughs> knocked it out in the back of the truck so we brought <laughs> so we took the deer we didn't know what to do in the city limits of town so we couldn't just turn it loose so we brought it. We brought it inside the shop, and we finished it off and put it in the cooler. <laughs> That's the craziest story. That's the craziest, one of the craziest stories you may ever hear on this air. Oh my god! But that's that's another one I'll never forget. Oh my! I was, I was in clean clothes. I can't even say nothing. I was in I was in I was in clean clothes playing golf, and this animal jumps out in the road. Jake so, has no words for that. I'm literally crying. No, this, this, this is, this is the honest to God truth. I mean, this, this happened. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. got me. So the deer's alive, gets up in the back of the truck, and you have to call the salesman to help you. He's probably what the hell is that dude thinking well, you, when he gets that call? Just think about hitting a deer. Put it in your truck. He's dead. Yeah. And you start driving down the highway, and you see so you pick something up in your rearview mirror, and that deer staring at you through the back window. <laughs> That's a hell of a situation. <laughs> I mean, what you thought? When you see this there, what you think? But it took a few minutes to, for me to realize, hell, I, I didn't kill it. I knocked it out. It was it was knocked out and then it woke up. Oh, my God. <laughs>
just like somebody punches somebody in a bar and they knock them out and they get up a little while later. That's kind of the situation that was with a deer. <laughs> so, so when you get him to town and you stop, he don't try to jump out the truck. He's just standing there. No, he's he's uh, he's lost. He's, 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 he's disoriented. He's disoriented. I guess so. He took a ride to town. He got knocked out by a car and then he took a ride to town. Then the bad thing is he got beat again till he was dead. Oh man! So, Hopefully it was ethically <laughs> killed. Yeah, it was. It was at a, that point. It was a big hammer. We knocked him out. Yeah, killed him and then cut it, cut him, cut him up. Got you. <laughs> I got you. Wow. Oh my goodness. So made some sausage the next day, guys. I hope y'all. I hope you're not driving and listening to this because I'm dying uh, right here. I'm sorry, but I told you. I hope you guys enjoying these stories because he has a whole bag load of them to tell. So, so getting back on track. Any other? Oh, I, there is another one that I want you to tell everybody. What about the one? <laughs> what about the one where the school bus, with the school bus, where were y'all hunting? You were score hunting. You got lost in the woods. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness! All right, so, yeah. so let's let's share that story because that's a good one too. Okay, that one. Boy, how times have changed. Today they wouldn't do that. No, a bus driver. That that particular hunt uh, was somewhere uh, in the Oblin area. You were hunting West Bay, or you no, were hunting no, a reserve? No, no, no this, was, this was some public woods. Okay. Somewhere in the back of Oblin, Louisiana. When when went down, I went down a pipeline one morning squirrel hunting. Got lost. The, my compass. I, I guess I didn't read my compass right or something. But anyway, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon before I came out of the woods. And y'all had went in in the morning? We went in in the morning. It was the biggest damn woods I've ever been in in my life. So I finally, I could hear some traffic and I was really getting nervous because it was late in the afternoon and I was, I was really tired. Thank God I was young because I wouldn't have made it. I finally, I came out to the road and I was walking, had my hunting bag, my shotgun, everything, just like, just like when I was going hunting in the woods. So I turned around and I'm, I hear a car come, a couple of cars come, and nobody nobody stops to talk to me or help me. And here comes a school bus full of kids. The school bus stops. And the, the man asked me, he said, you need some help? I said, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm at. And he, I started explaining to him about where we parked our truck. He said, well, golly. He said, you're probably about four miles from that vehicle. Oh, wow. Through the woods. So he said, well, go ahead and get in the bus with us. <laughs> I said, with a, get in the bus with y'all, I said? He said, yeah, get in the bus. He with, said, a, with a shotgun and a... And had some... a shotgun and there's probably 25 kids on the bus. <laughs> Didn't know me from Adam or Eve. So I got in the bus and sat down and all these little kids were asking me if I'd kill something. <laughs> and I'm, I'm riding on a school bus with a hunting jacket, a shotgun... And this, I'm bagging squirrels. And uh, what a good man to trust, to trust, or, or a crazy man, <laughs> oh whatever, to, to trust somebody he didn't know. And he ended up bringing me all the way back to my truck. I could picture him on this school bus with these little kids just looking up at him and being uh, like, "It's man's," and probably face paint, probably got everything on, and, and he's got a shotgun of all things. Can you imagine nowadays getting on a school bus? Well, I never, I never saw this gentleman again. And what I was wondering when I got home the next day is if he still got a job. <laughs> because my God, if my child would have been on that bus, I wouldn't want him driving. I wouldn't want him driving my kid another day. 
But he saw you were in need. He was doing the, the yeah, good, yeah, oh, the yeah, thing, yeah. the good thing in his heart to do. You know. Well, and and I guess I, I guess at that time, and but that's still too risky to take that chance at that time. Now, what years were this? This was seventies, eighties, early eighties, mm, early eighties. I was probably. Oh, I was yeah. Oh yeah, that was in the eighties. Yeah, that was in the eighties. I was probably 20, 21 years old, 22, maybe somewhere in there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Getting on a school bus and tells you to hop on with your gun and your shells and come on in. We're going to bring you back. And he brought you back to your parking spot? Brought me right back. He, he, he knew that area. He was probably a hunter. He brought me right back to where I told him I was. Was that the first time you had ever got uh, lost in the woods as a hunter? Because you spent a I mean... You know, guys, for those of y'all listening, my dad was, uh, I mean, obviously you could tell he was a big outdoorsman. You don't hunt no more. That's no. something that you don't do anymore nowadays. But you, back in the day, that was that was everything for you pretty much, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd score a hunt seven days a week if I could. So, kind of shifting gears, as far as waterfowl hunting, how'd that come into play? Obviously, we know you small game hunt, did some, some off-the-record deer hunting, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, uh waterfowl hunt where did your passion and your obsession come in with waterfowl hunting really really i had never got that interested in that i went a couple of times to the marsh with my dad and some of his friends back then and we went a long trip down there to the marsh and went out there in freezing conditions and just a fight to go out there and duck hunt and not kill crap or maybe a couple of birds just yeah. so i my interest wasn't high in that and then when i I kept I kept seeing wood ducks in the woods and the creeks and all that, and I started getting interested in it then. And then my uncle, uh, my uncle Robery Gervis, the one I was talking about prior in this conversation about that lake, got me involved in duck hunting there. So it was only a 15-minute drive from my house, and very easy. Just get just open a couple of gates, get in the boat, and go to the blind, and make you hunt and go home. You know, and that's that's where I really enjoyed it. But I never got into real big lake duck hunting. And nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of wood duck. Oh yeah, strictly, strictly, <clears throat> strictly hunting in the woods, teal and wood ducks. And you know that that family property that we had, that that kind of created where all I mentioned earlier, all my memories from waterfowl hunting because you would tag me along with you. Yeah. Now you started getting me involved, and I've said, you know, at an early age. You remember when you started bringing me into the outdoors with you? Yeah, I want to say you were about eight years old, maybe. Maybe a little younger. Yeah, yeah. I, I recall a little younger. I think. Yeah. A little younger. Yeah, I'd maybe, say about six years. Yeah, old maybe six. Yeah, like around, that. around maybe, first grade. Maybe, huh, maybe four or four to six yeah. years old. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. I yeah. remember following along in the woods behind you before I even had a gun, and you, yeah. I had a little knife you gave me. Yeah. And, and I would carry that knife, and I thought I was big, man. I was a yeah. big thing with that little knife, and I just walked behind you. And I remember you creeping squirrels and you know whatever we were hunting, and I would just kind of walk behind you. And I was loud, so you'd all you'd tell me to be quiet, yeah. like any other kid is, you know. But yeah, I kind of did it the way my dad showed me I, to bring in. You, you know, you got to teach a young boy to stay behind you and be and all the safety rules involved, and then you got to put them on a little trail, a little path where they gain confidence and they're not afraid to get lost or hurt. And then once they do that a few times, that's, that's how it was for me. Once I've done that a few times, and once you learn how to read a compass and understand where you at, then you own your own. Yeah, get out there in the woods, go anywhere, northeast, south, and west, and yeah, you know nowadays everybody's so dependent on GPS because we got all these fancy GPSs. I got apps on my phone, like Onyx apps and so on, with all the mapping and everything. But 
at the end of the day, learning how to read a compass is ultimately if an outdoorsman, that's the best thing, tool in your bag besides your firearm yeah, or something yeah, like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to fall back on if you ever need it, you know? But I, I remember as a kid, very young, being involved with going with you. And then we would go, of course, squirrel hunting was a tradition, open a weekend, and we'd go somewhere camping. Uh, you remember that time where I got lost in the woods and you had, you had to come find me? I was on a four-wheeler back uh, Yeah, in red dirt. In red dirt, that's yeah, right. Dirt. I remember that as a kid. That's one of my, you know, you have certain memories you just don't forget. And I remember I had got off on a four-wheeler, got lost, and went running through the woods. The, the exact thing of what not to do. Left the four-wheeler, got off. Let's go run into the woods and get more lost. So I did that, and eventually y'all found me, and I was crying. I remember that, and yeah, that true. was an experience I had. Yeah, it's a really scary thing when you get lost and you have no clue where you're at. It is. It is. But my, my waterfowl hunting experience, and this is embarrassing, but I'm going to share this with y'all, so don't laugh at me too hard whenever I say this, but I remember going to Uncle Gervis's, and I remember we had to take to go to his blind. We hunted with him and his blind. It was you, me, and him. And he had, a, he had a pretty souped up little blind back then. You had to go by a little boat, I think, to get to the blind. Right. Like a little paddling boat or something we'd take when yeah. they would flood it, you yeah. know, in the woods. And we got there, and I remember uh, tugging at you, and y'all were shooting ducks, man. I remember that. Yeah, had some, we had some wood ducks, and I think some teal come in that day. And uh, and I remember, now I'm really young. I'm probably six years old. Mom, when you laughing, you might know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so I'm tugging on you, and I'm like, Dad, I gotta poo. I gotta, I gotta go. T I gotta go to the bathroom. And you like go to the bathroom then. And I said, well, what do I do? And I was. This was one of my first trips I'd ever been duck hunting with you. So I got waiters on y'all. I guess y'all got me some coveralls, or it might have been coveralls. I don't know. It was a one piece type situation where I had coveralls or a set of waiters. And you like, well. You, you got to figure it out because you were you were occupied. You over there shooting ducks, and I'm about to shit myself. And so, so, so you like? I said, well, how do I do it? We're over water. And you said you got to hold on to the post on the back porch of the blind. You got to swing over, and you got to do what you got to do. So I'm thinking to myself as a kid, I'm like, oh, how the hell do I do this? And I I remember this so well. So I, here I am, I'm trying to pull down my coveralls and it's freezing cold at the time. And I remember swinging, I swing around this pole and, and I, I like it's so bad I can't hold it. And as I swing, I guess when I swung, I shit all in my overalls or in my waders, whatever I had on. Yeah. And I mean, it went straight into my damn, I, I didn't have them pulled down far enough. Yeah, I, I, I do remember that. I think that was just a situation where I said, it's a figure it out situation. You got to figure it out. <laughs> And I figured it just, out. Uh, it, it just it reminded me of a squirrel hunt, my a squirrel hunt one day, and uh, I guess I got up that morning, ate some bad breakfast, and I, I felt like I felt like I had loose bowels coming, you know. And what the hell are you gonna do when you forget the toilet paper? Well, you know what you do? You take the knife out and you cut the shirt. You cut your shirt. You cut your pants. You do what you got to do to wipe your rear end. <laughs> And you came home and I said, what happened to that sleeve of your uh, coverall? Yeah, and I had to tell that story to my wife and. That's that's been that's been a family joke for I said no. for years and years and years because I'm gonna tell you something this boy ain't taking no moss no <laughs> no moss for I you ain't, ain't gonna be no moss on this rear end no moss on the rear end no so. sir I don't want no red bugs in my butt so you went through all those years and I know we're getting close to an hour our time's about coming to an end here but we we could probably do a part two on on, on podcast with you for sure you and mom. 
but uh but eventually you got out of hunting why why did you give up hunting what what kind of got you out of hunting eventually because you hunted for so many years well i worked so. in i worked in the oil field and i worked seven and seven for for several years and i was i was young of course so when you came home and had seven days off plenty of time to do that hunt fish do whatever you wanted and then in the in, in the mid 80s the oil field crisis happened where people got laid off lost their jobs and stuff and Fortunately, my father uh, opened the Tom Fried Chicken in Baishiko. Which is our family business. Which is our family business. And when mm-hmm. you married to something like that, that's not where you're working for a company. And, you, you know, I was working five, six, seven days a week a lot of times. And eventually, when I got into my late 40s, uh, it just caught up to me. I just I just couldn't do it no more. I was too tired. Yeah. And, we, you know, we, we started having our family and stuff. And... Uh, you just had to put priorities first, you know? Yeah, yeah, you, you just go, I, I believe that, and you told me this, you said you just go through phases in your life like that, you know, and I believe that's that's very true. Yeah, I was always I, I was always an athlete growing up, and amazingly, uh, as much as I love to hunt and fish, I, I'd rather play golf now, it's easier, and uh, I like it as much, if not more than I did that. Yeah. And I can go do that for three or four hours, come home, and I'm not exhausted, and I, well, I'm tired, but it's not the same. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's not the not same, the same as, wear and tear. As, as driving an hour, going walk in the woods, and and uh, you know, I, I I'll always like it, but I'm just I don't have the passion for it no more. Yeah. Well, we got you out of retirement about seven, maybe a little longer than that. We got you. We got you out. You got your first set of waiters that you got to uh, experience. So how, how did that work out? Obviously not too good because he ain't doing it no more. So well, how'd you like those trips we invited you on? Well, y'all brought me, you and your friend Troy, brought me over there to... Uh, Dewey Wills? Uh, spring ball oh, over there. Spring. Instead of putting me uh, in a duck blonde, y'all made me walk with some waders up to my neck. <laughs> I about drowned out there. Uh, that's not the way to break in an old man to try to teach him to hunt at, at his age. <laughs> You're not used to that swamp hunt like that. Yeah, there was no love lost after that. No, well, we brought you, we got you to go again. We got you to go to Dewey Wheels with us when we had those canvas backs come in on us. And, the, and yeah. you, you looked at us, dad, dad looks down the line and he says, we had, I don't know, four or five of us. And he looks at us, he said, y'all young men. He said, y'all got to be out of y'all fucking minds. He said, <laughs> He said, "He said there's no way y'all ever getting me back out here to do this again." Brought a hundred dollar pair of waiters. I wore them twice, and I gave them to you, or threw <laughs> them away. Did. One out of each. Threw them away. Warm. I think he threw them away. He wanted to make sure nobody ever wore them again. To make and to add to that, I didn't kill a duck, and if I'd have killed my lemon, I still wouldn't have went back. I hear you. I hear you. No, so that was that. it. We kind of we kind of ruined you. I think in your later hunting years, as far as uh, that goes. I mean. Well, I, I mean, I went make a I went make a squirrel hunt too. We went make one more camping trip in my later years, eight ten years after I had quit. And I went out there and I, I had cataracts in one eye and I didn't hear as good as I used to. And I, I shot five squirrels and killed five. So I still had it for that. You did. You did. I remember that. Oh. But but that being said, that still after I did it, the passion wasn't there to do it no more. You just didn't have the, no. the, the go for it. No, I didn't yeah. have it no more. I just. Uh, yeah. You just lost. I mean, it just priorities changed and your passion I, changed. I said, if I continue to do this down the road, I'll be the I'll be the camp cook or something. I'll let the I'll let the young boys go do that. I always say every camp got a camp dog, and that's what they they enjoy doing that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that yeah. at all, you know. So yeah, but uh, and his dad was the camp dog too. Yeah, yeah, my grandfather. And even shorts. even now today, if me and me and the wife, me and Sandy, your mother talk about that, we, 
I'd just rather just go get a room somewhere and yeah i don't want to rough it no more i did that a long time yeah did that a long time and wouldn't turn the, wouldn't turn the clock back i loved it i loved every minute of it loved it yeah it was awesome we had some great camping trips me and the me and the wife and me and the kids and well in, in closing you know i got i guess i, I want to ask you this question and i think a lot of people would be interested to hear your response to it is you know with the world as crazy as it is nowadays and all the stuff that you see going on <clears throat> How important do you think it is for parents to get their children involved in outdoors? I think it's incredibly important. Incredibly important. It's uh, and if anybody if anybody can live, you can't pick and choose where you live due to education and your work life and all that. But if you can live in small town rural areas, I would advise you to do that if you could stay out of the city if you can. Less concrete. Yeah, you know, just there's just so much more things happening in the inner cities, you know, with violence and craziness, you know, with all these people driving like maniacs and stuff. All this hustle and bustle of life, you no know, everybody in a hurry to do everything when you don't have to be like that. Yeah, I agree with that. That's 100%. my that's my advice. That's just, you know, maybe I'm not right on that, but that's my advice. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I really do. I think a lot of us agree on that. So It's great you, you have your boys always busy doing things like that. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I, I owe a lot of that to y'all, the way I was brought up, you know, and I tell people that all the time. You got to, it's a lot of times it's the way you brought up, you know, and, and a lot of things pertain to that, that, that belief, in my opinion. But uh, I was blessed. I really was blessed. So uh, that's something I want to thank y'all for. Um, and I just want to... Thank you so much for being a guest on, on this week's show. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I know it's something that you were kind of nervous about. You were, you were skeptical about, but I'm glad you did it. I, I appreciate it because you never know how much time we got left together to talk about all these stories and all that's, that type of stuff. You know? That's absolutely true. We're not guaranteed the next day. That's right. So I, I appreciate y'all coming on the show. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. And guys, if you don't mind, please hit that like and subscribe button. If you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate you sharing it. Until next time, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Anti-roar! This episode is also brought to you by Benoit Performance Baits. Bait and tackle for all your fishing needs. Benoit Performance Baits offer some of the best soft plastics for bass, sackalay, and saltwater fishing. Whether it's a day on the water trying to catch a mess of fish for a family fish fry or a heavy bag to win a tournament, we have what you need and what the fish want. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok to place your order now. Hey guys, Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Are you looking to protect or give your firearm a fresh look? If so, let Wrap It Up Cajun Customs take care of it for you. We specialize in custom vinyl wraps in your favorite patterns from Mossy Oak and Realtree, as well as many others. Request a quote now by visiting us on Facebook at Wrap It Up Cajun Customs or give us a call at 985-687-3953.